You are listening to Between Two Trains, a podcast for business owners talking to business owners. My name is Mark Apple. And I'm Eric Most. And today we are speaking with... Adam Slutsky, Slutsky Realty Group. Excellent. Adam, so great to have you here. I know we've got a bunch of questions for you because certainly these last you know, year and a half or so has been really interesting times for business owners and especially those of us that have an office that we go to, whether we're renting it or we own the building. Crazy times. Uh, all the staff is working from home or coming in at different times. Love to just jump right in and kind of figure out from you what what has the last, you know, 15, 16 months been like? Uh, well, it really depends on the industry or if it's an office space, industrial space, or if it's a retail space. So that's been the real question is everyone's had their own uh, success and failures and ups and downs over the last 14 months. So they've all been, um, never, not one has had the same experience and not everyone's had the same experience. Adam, talk to me about your business. Do you focus just on commercial? Do you do residential? I only do commercial. Uh, tenant rep predominantly here in Atlanta. I represent um, tenants are looking to lease space or buy space. And I'll do some, help some developers buy land and do development there or, you know, go through rezoning process to re rezone land and build it for commercial uses and sometimes residential uses based on what the client's needs are. And that's in Atlanta. And I'm a licensed broker in 19 other states. So do a lot of um, work in other states, predominantly in the investment area. Very and, nice. How, how, long, how long have you been in that space? I got my license initially in, uh, I think, January of 1991 and got my broker's license in February or January of 2002. And that's my own my own company. So basically February of... Uh, 2002 is, is when I opened my ship, when I opened up my 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 doors. Uh, 2002, a little bit of an interesting economic time coming out of 2001 and some of the right. you know dot com bubble. Talk to me a little bit about kind of that decision to branch off on your own. I'm assuming you're with another company. Was it a big company you were with, or was it another small shop? Well, I really didn't have a choice. I had been a landlord rep for a number of years, representing the landlords and working on projects. And the company I was with, uh, a combination of the dot-com debacle, we were always, we, um, we were real small tenant spaces. Um, so we, um, he decided he was going through some personal issues as well. So he pretty much shut down the company, at least the part that was making money for going through divorce. And there were really no landlord rep jobs available. So I found myself having to become a tenant rep broker and just opened up my own firm. I had no interest to open up my own firm. I had no interest to be uh, a tenant rep. And I liked being a W-2 employee. And so it was a culture shock to go every go from every two weeks to how much money do we have now in the bank? You know, so it was a real uh, change of things. I've been very blessed uh, with the business I have. And I've been growing it in the last 18 months, two years, and to go into different areas to create more, more, more revenue streams. It's so. such a, I work with I work with small business owners and that dynamic of being a W2 employee that you just talked about to then 
you're, you're, you're pursuing opportunities and you only get paid when those opportunities close, you know, pipeline doesn't get you paid is, um, is, I, is commonly heard, you know, and, um, Talk to me, though, about, so you kind of started an interesting economic time. You weathered the storm, you, you know, tons of experience. You weathered the storm of 2007, 2008. Mark mentioned COVID. And you kind of talked about how industry, depending on what industry you're in, it could impact things. What are you, what are you seeing? What industry is hot right now in Atlanta? Well, well real quick, I majored in real estate at the University of Georgia. In '90, the uh, the art the art the SNL crisis had already hit, and the RTC controlled the Resolution Trust Corporation controlled all real estate. Real estate was dead unless you were an investor being like able to buy stuff for pennies on the dollar. Then I had the dot com bomb hit in 2001, and then now 2008 was when the economy ended as, as we know it in 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 the fall. And now we have COVID here in uh, 2000. And, so the industries right now, the industrial side has been extremely hot. Uh, the distribution where everyone's ordering from home, um, that is not slowed. That has exploded in the uh, number of spaces being built, leased, uh, number of people wanting to buy industrial buildings. Uh, that is the hot. Uh, out of those three office industrial retail, those are the, that's the real hot one. And those, a lot of those companies were, you know, important businesses that could not shut, couldn't shut down during, 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 during COVID. So they're the ones that got to stay open and hire people, take space. And also back up to 2008, when the economy died, then nothing commercial-wise was really built from maybe 2008 through 13, 14 and what has been built since then has been mega buildings. I mean, I remember in my, when I started, 250,000 square foot building was big. Then a 500,000 square foot building was built as spec. And the whole building was leased up in Swanee, which blew everyone out of the, blew, whenever that, blew everyone away that something that big could be leased by a big tenant at one time. And then now you have million square foot buildings between 800 and a million five being built as spec. And they're being gobbled up by Wall Street pension funds, as well as, you know, from the acquisition side and ownership side to the tenant side. All, you know, Atlanta is one of the seven or eight major regional distribution hubs for the entire country. So we're going to continue to grow. We have, you know, all these interstates run through Atlanta. So what's happened is they're not building anything small because your economies of scale just don't work anymore. This construction costs are going up. So there's been a definite shortage of space, small space. You know, under fifty thousand, under hundred thousand. So that's been hard. So, but that market is just rates have gone up, and it just it's what stay. You know, that has just been really keeping the industrial going crazy. This uh, industrial that's really exploding that, that you mentioned. You talked about this project in Swanee with the million square feet. Is that where most of these buildings are, are now being built? It's really sort of outside of the outside of the perimeter and kind of you know far out. Which you know, those of us that lived here a while. You know, I you think Swanee is like a, a day trip to, to get to. The Swanee in the 90s was where they built the, I think, 400, 500,000 square foot building that changed everything. That was in the mid, mid 90s. And through about 2000 and maybe 
Atlanta is divided up into sub-markets when it comes to real estate, whether it's industrial, office, or retail. They all have their own individual sub-markets. Atlanta was the largest industrial market in the entire Southeast back in the 90s, and the largest sub-market was up 85. And I think there was more industrial space up 85 than there was in the entire of any other city in the Southeast. And since that time, these mega buildings need so much land that the airport in South area, Southwest of Atlanta and down 75 become where they build these million square foot buildings. And they're now that's the largest sub, sub market, um, the airport market and stuff that's in the city. And then to go out, you need, you know, a hundred acres to build a, a million square feet because you need the trailer storage and, you know, you need the cross stock facility. Um, so all the buildings are being built out in the suburbs and because land's getting scarce, you're building these buildings further and further out. Jefferson, Cartersville, wherever the land's flat and cheap. Now the I-20s and east and west. Um, so everything in, in town is gotten now so expensive that you have to go out to buy these big, big boxes. A big piece of land in order to build big, big boxes. You know, it's, it's, you, you mentioned something about the dynamic of a lot of Big entities, companies, Wall Street are investing into these buildings and space. You know, we we work with small business owners. We interview small business owners. What do you think about the what do you think about the uh, dynamic of I, I mean, do you think that's a good thing for all that big money to be investing? Well, um, we'll go in, I guess we'll go to the investment side. I'm sorry. We'll go to the investment side of what's happening. There's a tremendous amount of capital with all the pension funds and um, REITs and investors have a tremendous amount of money trying to buy stuff. So they're going, there's a flight to quality products. So these big industrial buildings with these long-term leases with these big companies are very considered safe bets. And they have to invest a certain percentage of, the real, of, of their assets in real estate. So you buy these big buildings and they're a million square feet and you can pay 50, 60, 100 plus million dollars for these buildings. And you can, you know, put a lot of capital away. And so what it's done is drive driven prices up for even the less expensive buildings or the smaller buildings because of the lack of product. There's more money chasing product than there is product that's out in the market. So now prices have skyrocketed when it comes to investments, at least for on the industrial side. Yeah, that is that is a great answer. You are listening to Between Two Trains today. We are talking to Adam Slutsky of Slutsky Realty, and we are going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Attention, small business owners! Right now, your next customer is looking online for your services. Will they find your website or a competitor's? Will your phone ring or will it be another slow day? Don't let another bad day go by. We're Forward Push, and we help businesses like yours be found in a Google search by creating an SEO strategy for your business. Schedule your free marketing consultation at forwardpush.com right now. That's forwardpush.com. All right, we are back. And Adam, I want to ask a question. You mentioned this earlier about the small business owners and 
how they are wanting to have either either a rental or a lease or find their own place to buy. And in town has become so expensive. And, yes. you know, we were just talking about the industrial side. They're moving out to Cartersville and Swanee and down by the airport. Maybe not exactly where a small business owner wants to put their business. So what's the advice for the small business owner? They've got maybe 20 people that they need a space for, maybe 50, somewhere in there. And they want to be, you know, inside the perimeter or at least as close as they can to it. What, what kind of advice are we are you telling the small business owner when, when they're ringing your phone? Well, I mean, if they're looking for office space, um, you just have to really determine what part of town that you want to be in. And now with COVID, a lot of people don't want to be in the buildings with, with elevators, or at least not more where they can't walk up or they want to be on the lower floors where they can walk up, you know, to their office space. Um, people, you know, you get in the elevators now and it looks like the old game of Foursquare back when we were kids. You know, you have corners all painted out or you have lines like a little checkerboard. So you start standing in your corner. Um, but if you're looking for space, it really depends on what part of town you want to be in and what, and then, you know, what is your look and then what, what's your, what's your budget? And there's some buildings that are being very aggressive and trying to make deals and others uh, are not as aggressive. And you just have to figure out which, you know, what is what you're looking for. And then you kind of negotiate the best deal possible. Are you finding that there's a certain area of town where uh, landlords are being more aggressive in, in making deals or is this just spread out all over the metro? I think it's spread out everywhere, but there are certain buildings that don't want, you know, are not going to reduce their rates because you have, you, have, you have a mortgage and you have what's called a face rate. So when you do, when you get your financing for your building, you know, you told the lender, this is the rate we're going to get. And if you start deviating too much from that rate, lenders don't like that. So a lot of landlords will give you extra free rent or more TI to make the deal, but they have to show what's called a face rate or something very close to it to the lender. To me, the markets that still have the most available space is gonna be like Peachtree Corners. Uh, I still think up Alpharetta, up at Windward, uh, Holcombridge Road in between those, there's just a lot of, just about a space available. The question is if it's single story or multi-story, I think your multi-story is gonna be more available than your single story right now because people want to be walking in other offices and not have to worry about being with other people. That, that completely makes makes sense. And it's it's interesting, you know, I think in, in my thinking is that 2020, we went through what happened. 2021, we're starting to come back and people are saying, well, we're going to get back to normal. But normal was when you walked into an elevator and, you know, you had eight people in there and you didn't, you wanted to be on the top floor with, with the best view of, of Buckhead. Right. And now that normal seems to be the exact opposite of what normal was pre-COVID. So it's quite interesting. So these high-rise buildings that, you know, pre-2020 that were built up all over the city, it doesn't really matter what section we're talking about, Midtown, Downtown to, you know, Alpharetta and, and so on. Are they in for some big vacancy coming up because of what, what you're saying here, that people don't want to be on the fifth floor anymore? You know, it's been really interesting. You could ask 100 agents and you'd probably get 75 to 110 different answers. So uh, what we've seen is these big tech companies have come in. Google announced that they took the rest of the building that they're taking down in Midtown. 
you know, they were 100, now they're 400,000 square feet. And this was you know, during the pandemic. Uh, Microsoft said they were leasing 500 plus thousand square feet at Atlantic Station. But two weeks later, Macy's announced they were backing out of their deal of 100,000 square feet for Tech Center. But I think that was more of an economic thing for Macy's than other places. Uh, law firms are going back. I have companies that are going staggered where you have some people work Monday, Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and others are in there Tuesday, Thursday. Um, if they're in um, summer warning in the past, it's been how many people can I fit in a space? A few offices, mostly cube open area, to now where you had a four cube, you want more space, so you're going to do maybe more offices now, and the cubes are more uh, spread apart. So you get more people have the, dis the social, social distance versus looking like Dilbertville for us that remember Dilbert from back in the day where everything would look like just a cube, a cube farm. So every office is different. Um, you know, but it's coming in staggered. Some, you know, there's something called Zoom fatigue, which I don't know if you're all familiar with, but just people are tired of being on Zoom. They want to be face-to-face. -face. A lot of a lot of businesses with collaboration need that face-to-face. -face. There's some industries that, may not come back to full-time office space. I have an accounting firm that two years prior to the pandemic was already starting to do work from home and was gonna not renew his lease to do work from home. And this is before the pandemic hit, but there's some people that need to have an office space and that want an office space. I have office space and I've come in almost, except when I was sick, I came in almost every single day during the pandemic, but I'm a, I'm a, um, of Williamsburg building on the second floor and it's just me and two other offices. So people, you know, I don't get many much visitors or traffic. And then I think a lot of it has to do with people going back is, you know, the certain states or there were arguments over the, the COVID relief bills about, you know, are employers going to be relieved of liability if they have their employees come back in the office. I know that was a big sticking point. So you have this, you know, a lot of this country is divided over their feeling about the virus. So you get into that situation. But I think people are waiting to get back to some form of normal, whatever that looks like. Everyone has a different view. And every office is going to have a different point of view. You will see, you, no one knows. I mean, what we've seen so far is a lot of renewals that are coming up looking at short term renewals because they don't know what's going to happen. And then others are out in the market looking for space. You just, in long-term space, they may be, instead of taking 10,000 feet, they may, or 5,000 feet, they may take another 10 for 15, 20% more to have more social, social distancing and make more privates versus cubes and not as much common areas. But then now you got buildings that are taking the approach. They're creating more open spaces area, more um, social distance places to be to, to to congregate so it's like i said it's across the board to give you an example cousins had a report that came out that i think their portfolio was 95 percent leased but two months ago i think they were 20 15 to 20 percent occupied because no one was in the buildings and there's some landlord have no clue what they're doing when it comes to the pandemic i mean what to get the sanitizers when you walk in, the wiping down the doors to how do you, you know, get in and not touch the doors or, or public places. You have, uh, you know, uh, uh, you're supposed to have a, a water fountain 
everywhere. Well, they're being closed off. If you've been to buildings lately, those water fountains are blocked off. So they do not work. So it's going to be just, uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. A lot of better word with all this because everyone's going to have their own opinion. And, you know, it's not, I saw a friend of mine about buying space in town. I said, there are no deals. If you think it's like 08 or 09 again, uh-uh. Everyone still thinks that, and there you just can't find it. And if you can, it's not it's not cheap. I mean, it's almost not quite like residential, but it's the prices are high. And if something comes available, um, you got to get it. And you know, with financing as cheap as it is, it kind of offsets. Well, that 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 makes sense to me, uh, Adam. I, I'm curious to know because you mentioned kind of prices being hot, and uh, earlier you kind of touched on you know the city of Atlanta. From a business standpoint, you've got so many big, large companies locating to Atlanta, and Atlanta is kind of unique. You know, there's no natural barriers, so you can go in all four directions. It's not like Chicago and, you know, New York, where you've got, you know, lakes and, you know, water that you got to take into account. Um, I'm curious, though, I mean, is there, I mean, is Atlanta blossoming into the next Chicago and, and Houston? I mean, I, when you talk about the, the buildings and the level of investment, these are long-term investments. You know, these are, these are people who are constructing buildings are in it for uh, typically a long time. Those buildings last for a very long time. I mean, right. you know, decades. Well, so, we, have, we have buildings that are over 100 years old that are, you know, that are eight the Hurt Building downtown Atlanta, I think, is 100 plus years old. You know, it still works. As, you know, there's some old, yeah, old, old buildings here. So do you see, I mean, it's where it's cheaper to go outside the perimeter. I mean, does the downtown area continue to fill up and, and or, I mean, is it, or do people just go outside? Do you know what I'm asking? I mean, you've got these, you've got the Sandy Springs area where you've got the concourse buildings and i'm sure the price per square foot to build that was a lot better than in downtown atlanta um do you do you see do you see it continuing to expand out or do you think that atlanta the downtown area is just going to continue to be the heart of the pulse of the business environment well i think mid mid, midtown is the heart of the business environment has been for a number of years now i think what's happening is I mean, prior to the pandemic, um, you know, in 08, before the economy died, you know, the national bird of, of Atlanta was, was, was the crane. So you had cranes all over the place in downtown Atlanta, and they were for high-rise condo buildings. Well, that whole market evaporated. Now, the last three years or four years, you've seen all the cranes again. Those are all apartments. So you have all these young people moving into town. You have people that are getting rid of their homes and moving into town because their kids have moved out. And I think the vibe is happening and increasing dramatically on the in-town side. And people want to live in town. But then now COVID hit, and people wanting to go back out to go into, you know, a lot more space. But the apartments are taking, you know, they're building tons of apartments in Midtown, some in downtown, these big high-rises, and, you know, they're renting them out. And they've increased the rates. So, um, you know, you have Georgia Tech, which is a strong draw for I- IT. They've built a lot of big IT buildings and tenants have, have moved down there to be next to Georgia Tech and all of that brains. 
definitely not the football team, but definitely you know the the the, the engineering and the and the AI and you know and I you know the the internet stuff. And then you got you know the Atlanta colleges there. A lot of companies are going close to that to bring more opportunity for the historically Atlanta uh, black colleges down in Atlanta, and they're creating more I, IT opportunities. So that's where. Atlanta in town, you know, is really where if you're accessible to MARTA, because all the lot of millennials want to ride on, you know, don't want public transportation or ride their bike or stuff. So Midtown is exploding. Downtown is just so ex- the land's expensive. I don't think it's expensive as downtown, but parking has gotten to be so expensive. The rates could be super cheap for your rental rate, but your parking is so high, which is kind of where in Midtown they're kind of both high. So, but people are now going to the burg, but Buckhead now has very limited places that offer free, free, free parking. And even the burbs have started to build lots where potentially they can have uh, paid parking where you're no longer free. So, as you said, there are no barriers to entry in Atlanta. We can go in all four directions, just like Dallas. I mean, we can continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, the commute's hard. Uh, we had an issue with sewer many, many years ago, and for sewer capacity. Um, you know, we got a lot of retail, and retail follows the rooftops. So they're going to build wherever they think they can build. But like I said, you know, Sealy built their building in Midtown. Google, in a law firm, I think it was Jones Day, well, Google put another 400,000 square feet. I mean, a whole, or three, a whole building's leaks. Now they're looking to do another building down there. So, wow. And then Microsoft bought 80 acres uh, west of Atlanta. Um, Your quarry, right? Quarry yards, thank you. And they're going to build a monster facility there. And they're still going to plan it long term, but they took 500,000 square feet Atlantic Station. That was a brand new spec. And they're going to, um, you know, have this campus to build more stuff. But on the flip side of that, we have more subway space available than we've had in years. And you have the consolidation of, of uh, BB&T and Sun, and Sun Trust, which is going to give up a whole lot of space in town. You have other big companies with multiple offices consolidating because people are working from home. So everyone's still trying to figure it out. And, you know, we, we joke around when someone does, please, please let the rest of us, because it's just, no one knows. It's just, it, it is a total crapshoot and you're throwing the dice and, and if you get an office, are people going to want to come back? Are people holding their breath? Are people uh, because it, it the market got a little frothy there a couple of years back with a lot of people coming in. You mentioned all the cranes being built, and there was just a lot of bold investment. Are people holding their breath, waiting to see how this kind of shakes out? What are you seeing? Well, the apartments um, the rents dropped some, and now they've gone back up to the point they're one of the recovery. Uh, children of the uh, uh, size of the industrial, the multifamily is really taken off. So but how can how can that be sustained? I mean, it's the millennials right now, but those millennials are having kids and they want you know single family homes. And but the generation behind, I mean, it's a smaller generation compared to the millennials. Is that how can they keep up the the occupancy? Well, that's a great question. So as they say, someone else's gain is someone else's loss. So you have the old Rust Belt, what they used to call it. I mean, those populations, Cleveland, Detroit, uh, 
big city are all decreasing and everyone's moving south of the Mason-Dixon line and moving in the southeast or southwest because of the weather, cheaper housing, lower taxes, um, better living conditions. And you know, the weather's not as bad. So we're getting not only that influx, but you know, Atlanta is a major metropolitan city. So you're getting the draw from all the people that are in the suburb, you know, surrounding states. So that's where Atlanta is a growth city. So you're not going to have, you're going to have those growth pockets around the country, but you'll continue to have a population in, increase. And you talk about the having the families and moving out. You know, what's interesting is a lot of them don't want to buy homes. They want to rent homes. So that's the whole new market that has exploded in the last number of years to the point that Wall Street has paid notice and pension funds have paid notice and they're creating, they're building subdivisions strictly for rental houses. So they're going to have, you're going to buy. Adam, the the banker in me cringes when I hear this. I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to own a home. Because it's like being in an apartment. If something doesn't work, I call the apartment. They take care of it. I have to worry about it. Right. I want the mortgage. I want the flexibility to pick up and move. Um, but the buying of these investors are spending. There's billions and billions of dollars that just got put into this this sector of the market in the last year. And I've been hired by a company to help them grow their platform uh, for home home rentals but the fact they're building single family subdivisions strictly for rental blows my mind and they're having investors like i just read one i'm trying i think they built 120 something homes and someone swept in and bought the entire property for a two hundred and sixty thousand dollar home and these investors are out paying or one of the problems are out bidding other homeowners. So if you wanted to go buy a home, Eric, an investor came along, he'd offer cash and 10% more than what you're going to offer to pay to live in there on a full-time basis. And that's, we're seeing that all over the place right now as well, because all of a sudden people are deciding they don't want to own a home. They'd rather rent it. I mean, I, I understand, I mean, not mowing the lawn, being having everything getting taken care of, but that's just a dynamic that, Again, it's the banker in me. You know, when you look Absolutely. at a, when you when you look at a lot of people's balance sheet, typically the biggest asset on there is the home. Now, conversely, typically the biggest liability is the mortgage on that home. Right. At least, at least as you start out in your you know in your life, that's that's how it happens. Hopefully, it catches up and you diversify. But that's just a concept that just I I understand. But it's also a dynamic that kind of insulates that apartment and rental market because. If everyone's renting and it's too expensive to buy, then um, you, you really don't have too many options. Rents have gone up so much, especially in town. That's why all these investors are buying properties outside Atlanta on the multifamily side. Because remember, if your money's in the bank, what what interest rate here is the bank paying? 0.05% in your savings account? I'm going to buy an apartment complex as a REIT or a pension fund or industrial, you get four and a half to 5% for, you know, how do you not, you, you, you got to move your money there. And if you're in California, I mean, their cap rates are going throughout the country for below four because the, it's just that many deals, that much money is chasing deals. Wow. 
blows so, my mind, man. I, I can't, I can't understand. I mean, I get it, but I just, um, you know, just the, the idea of not owning something to me is yeah. just, um, it's, it's counterintuitive. It's just, I'm not programmed that way, but I do understand the, the, the market dynamics and the fundamentals, the underlying, you know, reasons that's resulting in this, but it just, it blows my mind at the same time. Look at what happened, what's happened. Not only is all this other stuff going on, interest rates have dropped. Unheard, I mean, I refinanced money out at 2.875 for 30 years. I mean, that's cheaper than credit card money or taking a home equity loan out. I mean, it's just, that's why these people are upsizing their home. That's why there's so much money chasing houses that want to buy houses because the rates are so low. So, that, you know, is there a bubble? You have to put down 20% or more. So, I mean, it's not like in 08 for the years before where you got zero down. You know, you have to put money into the house, but you need time on so many real estate fronts. It's a dangerous thing. It's it's a fine line when it comes to too much money being out there because then you can run into risk of inflation and just, you know, there's so much money. What's it worth, right? I mean, um, so it's it's definitely a fine line. It's... What we just talked about the last couple of minutes is just, I don't know, it's just, it, it boggles me, but I, I get it. Rates are low. Uh, they they are going to increase. It's Everybody's pretty bullish on the status of the economy of, for the remainder of 2021. Um, but, look, but, look, but look at the other issue that's happened. The government's giving out money. So there are people being paid that are staying home because they're making more money taking the unemployment than they used to be at their jobs. And then the government came out a few months ago, oh, people are going back to work. Everyone I talk to who's on this, everyone they know is like, why am I going back to work? I'm making more money sitting at home. And the ones that are taking, look what's happened to the stock market since March of last year. All that free money came in and people started buying stocks. I mean, it's the whole... And the only saving grace is, you know, with the government borrowing trillions is the interest rates are so low. So hopefully they're paying off their old T-bills and mortgage, you know, bonds they've sold at five, six, whatever percent. And now they're locking them in at three. I mean, and hopefully that'll help offset our huge deficit. We can get out of those long-term higher notes. But it's just, I mean, you probably hear from your friends, Eric or Mark, that people would rather take the money and not work. It's, it's a huge issue. Um, the, the unseen dynamic there too, Adam, is that the productivity. So you've got a labor force that is refusing to work. So then you, you go out there and find somebody else who is willing to work. You just got to continue doing it. And a lot of times these positions, it can take a, you know, 30, 60 days to have the training or experience to, to get the productivity to where the, the output is is that so it's a huge impact to businesses and that is a dynamic that that we saw all throughout 2020 you know for for there are certain industries you know certain job types that where it got really impacted but people just you know refused to work um, I mean, look at i mean in the construction industry uh, mark and i were in a meeting i think you were mark where a guy is a, a boy scout leader and they do the same project every year Last year, the lumber was $300. This year is over a thousand. And you can't get, you know, the 
you can't get people to work. There are people that want jobs, but they're at the higher income levels. And I think you have the lower income levels that, you know, they're making more or close to what they made, you know, working, being at home. And which is horrible as it sounds, they just, it's not, it's not worth it. And they don't want to go deal with the boss yelling at them or getting dirty every day from, you know, working in a sawmill or a sheetrock facility or something. And I mean, it's just, it's just, just not enough jobs. You know, there's not enough people to fill these jobs. And I know people are looking for jobs and they can't find them if they weren't the higher end, if that's their level. And that's just been hard. I don't know what, if you, are you a banker or I don't know what you do? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm in the commercial banking space. So I work with, you know, privately held companies okay. in the, typically in the one to 50 million, you know, revenue, top line revenue space. And, you know, the last year has been, you know, historic from the PPP loan uh, side of things. Um, it's also been uh, historic from an economic perspective too. And most, most of my clients have some sort of credit relationship. And so it's been, it's been a year for the record book. That's for sure. Um, but it's, you know, the dynamics that you're, that you're touching on Adam are, uh, they're not unique, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of businesses going through this and it's, it's interesting to have that perspective, you know, given the massive, you know, big, you know, bills that are passed at the federal level, you know, kind of at the local level, there, there are dynamics where, you know, some people are kind of grinding their teeth a little bit because they, they're losing experienced employees that just, they, it's, why would you work if you can make more money not working? I, I remember when they were debating the PPP loan, I guess it was, the Republicans had one view and the Democrats, and I remember Schumer saying, Chuck Schumer, we're going to run it through the unemployment. It'll be like unemployment on steroids. And we'll give them all this money. I was like, you're never going to get people off this. They're going to go on this and never want to get off. It's a sweet, and, sweet sugar there. <laughs> and I just, you know, but we're, there's a shortage. I get all these trade magazines because of if I do. And like, there's not enough auto mechanics. They can't find auto mechanics. They can't, the construction industry is losing more people than they're gaining. And because the younger people either, A, don't want to get their hands dirty, uh, which is fine, or they want to be in some type of I, IT because that's they see where all the money is. So the automobile people are saying, hey, all our cars are computers. You know, you get to work on the car, but you get to do all the software and da, da, da. So you get to do the IT stuff. So that's one of their angles to try to get it. And now everything's going to try to go green. And that's a whole new industry. You know, they talk about this gigantic industry infrastructure but you know who's going to come build it you know how much uh, labor we have to bring in from other countries legally or illegally we just can't get people to fill the jobs to um do the basics offset it yeah i mean it's it's fascinating but you're right i mean it's um if it's not happening locally you got to go outside you know you got to outsource it so to speak and um it's, you know, it's, it's neat that it's, it's, it's nice to, to interact with people who, who are seeing the same things. I'll say that. No, was, this is definitely a, a fascinating conversation. I was, I was thinking, Eric, we could have Adam on like every month to give us an update with what, 
what's happening because the answers really are well it depends and you know it's well if you talk to this person they're going to say this and this sector is saying this and i'm seeing this and someone else is seeing it from a different side and that's how they're reacting it's it's quite quite fascinating uh i think for our our last question here adam i'm going to put you on the spot it's a one word answer and i want you to just give us that one word that summarizes your business philosophy from today moving forward? A, ry a rhinoceros. <laughs> All right, now you got to tell us why. The <laughs> rhinoceros is always charging ahead. Excellent. I love that. I love you always that. Have to move, you always have to move forward. Perfect. That is, that is a great answer. Thank you for being with us. Can you tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you so they can talk to you about some of this fascinating information you're telling us today. I think it's a pretty deep topic. And also if they are interested in learning more about your services, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, well, I, we covered so many different topics, so I don't know what real estate they want help with, but it's Adam Slutsky and it's Slutsky Realty Group. And the office number is 404-748-4200. And I can give an email. Excellent. If that's you tell me, Mark, you experience this phone number good enough, what you need. Phone number and email sounds great. What do you got for your email? Email is adam at srgrealty.com. Adam at samrichardgoodrealty.com. And I'm in Sandy Springs. I'm happy to help in the form of real estate. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. Love it. This has been another episode of Between Two Trains. I'm Mark Apple. I'm the founder of Forward Push, a marketing agency for small businesses and startups located in Chambly. And I'm Eric Moss, commercial banker with J.P. Morgan Chase in your neighborhood, wherever you're at. <laughs> Perfect. Have a great day and we'll catch you on the next episode of Between Two Trains.